breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody, to Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me again. Hope you're all doing well, safe, healthy, and ready to confront the problems of 2021. Every week, I try to bring you the things that uh, sort of fall from the wayside, if you will, or sort of glossed over in the reality of what we can learn from them, especially when it comes to Muslim reform, modernization, our Muslim reform movement, and also when it comes to things like COVID, medical ethics, and other things. This week, I want to talk to you about the Pope's meeting in Iraq. What does it mean? What was it hail for the Middle East? Then we'll talk a little about an update in Europe and France and Macron's battle against political Islam. And also Al Jazeera. What's the DOJ doing with them? Or why are they not listed as FARA, Foreign Agent Registration Act? They should have been. Trump administration insisted that the DOJ follow through with it and it was supposed to be doing that. What's happened? But first, we have to talk about what's going on with the Pope. You have the pontiff reaching out to Iraq. The photos, I have to tell you, if you're not struck by the photos of the Pope in his grand grand leadership in his white robe, sitting in a white chair with the Iraqi Shia leadership of the Grand Ayatollah Sistani in front of a, a ruined structures of buildings depicting the imagery of a war-torn Iraq. Uh, I, I don't know what moves you. The symbolism is great. You can't help but th- be thankful of a time now in 2021 where you have the leader of the Catholic community, the leader of the Catholic Church, Pope Francis, sit down with the highest Shia authority in Iraq, the Grand Ayatollah Ali Sistani, and I'm trying not to always be the naysayer, I'm trying to find the silver lining, the beauty. But you have to put things in the political context that they're in. And I'm going to set aside all of the problems I have with the politics and the socialism of the Pope and his interference in politics. That's not what this is about. This is about the Catholic community reaching out to a new page, to a new era in Iraq. But is it that? Does Sistani represent a new era in Iraq? Does Iraq itself represent that? As the Pope sits down, sat down for photo ops and had beautiful messaging about the compassion of diversity, the compassion of peace. As he sits down for that, in an area in which ISIS had had so much territory and ISIS was slaughtering and enslaving and raping Christians and Yazidis and other minorities. And he met with Sistani, the Pope, did, made history when they sat down together on Saturday in the cleric's home in Najaf. The president of Iraq, Bartham Salih, noted that it was a deep religious expression of moderation with the symbolic power 
As NBC reported of the 40-minute dialogue already reverberating through Iraqi society, it is, of, it is due, Father Rami Simon from the Dominican convent in Baghdad told the New Arab publication. For us, it would have been quite surprising if everything had not been done for this meeting to take place. But Iraqi Christians are not the only ones rejoicing over this historic counter. All of my community is happy about this meeting taking place, exclaims Jalal Sharif, imam of the Great Prophet Mosque in Rusafa in the center of Baghdad. This visit and the meeting in particular as an achievement for the peace for Iraqi people and especially Shia and Christians, of course. It will show the brotherhood between the two religions. The result of the meeting will be concrete and reflect on all of society. And the Shia loved it because it sees Sistani as a leader for all Muslims in Iraq. And they called him equivalent to the Pope. An independent parliamentarian, Saad al-Mutallabi, as noted in the New Arab, noted that he's affiliated with the Shia Islamist Dawah Party. When this visit was announced, I was surprised. Then I thought from the form of respect that the Pope shows him will help Sistani improve his image internationally, perhaps even among Americans. And the UN, said the politician, widely regarded as one of the most influential figures in Iraq, the nonagenarians, clerics' words have the power to mobilize the nation. Now, some say Sistani is much less apt to interfere in politics the way the Khamenei regime does in Iran. In Iran, they use what's called Vilayat al-Fiqh, which means that they have a right a obligation as Islamists, as clerics, to intervene in politics. Sistani, much less so. But still, he weighs in but feels that it is not an intervention but simply an opinion. He comes from a religious school traditionally opposed to the intervention of the Ayatollah in politics. But he had been forced to do so on a number of occasions. As a brief history, it's important to note, so before we get into some of my mild criticism, I think it's always important to try to bring interfaith, denominational diversity, if you will, from leadership top down and from bottom up. So I'm, I'm generally very positive about this, but let's first talk about what the, the, the Pope especially who he's speaking to, not only the Muslim communities, obviously, for interfaith work. But note, there's two hundred to 300,000 Christians that, ex- that live in Iraq currently. Before the invasion, before ISIS, before the toppling of Saddam, there was 1.5 million Christians. There are 14 officially recognized Christian sects in Iraq. Most live in Baghdad and the plains of northern Nineveh province and Iraq's self-run Kurdistan region. Kurds, as you talk to many American troops, will tell you that the Kurdish areas are the areas in which there were virtually no terror attacks against Americans. And the Kurds, I'll remind you, are Sunni Muslims. But they're not radicalized because their national identity is Kurdish and not under the whims of Islamist fascism, Islamic national identity, and Islamist Sharia law. 
of the Christians that remain in Iraq, 80% are Chaldeans, the most numerous of the Iraqi Christians. The Chaldean Church is an Eastern Rite affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church but maintains its own traditions and rituals. They speak versions of Aramaic and Semitic language spoken at the time of Jesus. 10% are Syriacs. They include Catholics, which are the majority, and Orthodox. The northern towns of Korakush, Beshika, and Bartala are part of the Syriac communities. 5% are Assyrians that follow the Assyrian Church of the East, many of whom fled following massacres by the Ottomans. 3% are Armenian and 2% are Arab Christians of other denominations. And you look, this is a population, obviously, that the Pope, the Christian community, had long realized was dwindling, had been abused, tortured, dwindled by 80%, 80% down from 1.5 million. The Pope felt that Sistani had a central role in bringing peace to that community, and he wanted to recognize that. Quote, any meeting that can be used to restore peace and to encourage Christians to stay here, we look at favorably. Archbishop Nathaniel Nizar Saman of the Syriac Catholic Diocese of Hadiab in Erbil, Iraqi Kurdistan, told the New Arab. The Holy Father is a man of peace. All the Iraqi people welcome him as such. But the exodus of Christians from Iraq continues with a fall of 80 to 90 percent since 2003. Pope Francis, remember, visited Abu Dhabi in February of 2019 and signed a Declaration of Human Fraternity with the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, one of the highest authorities in Sunni Islam. Again, there's no Pope in Sunni Islam, but that's one of the highest authorities, is Al-Azhar. So this is looked upon as a follow-up to that now on the Shia side. So in every box you check, looks like Pope Francis pretty much needed to reach out to the Shia community, and probably the Grand Ayatollah Sistani was the most appropriate for that. Now, if you look at the doctrine of Sistani, you will see intolerance in some things homophobia other things and not necessarily a rejection of some of the draconian interpretations of sharia that need modernization and reform so make no mistake this is not a 21st century reformer of secular liberal democracy and advocacy for that but compared to the environment that he's in it's probably one of the best opportunities they have to meet with someone palatable so what's my problem with it my problem with the whole meeting is iraq is not and this is probably thanks to western policy and especially the Obama administration but iraq is simply a client state of iran right now and to think that sistani represents a free and sovereign iraq is absurd iran which is one of the grossest theocracies, and, and not that there's any that are pretty. Every theocracy is horrific, but this is one of the worst open-air prisons on the planet. We're waiting with bated breath for the revolution to gain strength in Iran. 
But just as Assad and his genocide has been perpetrated under the watchful client state status of Iran with its control of Assad, Iraq similarly, with its Shia majority, has found itself controlled now by Iran. And Baghdad is simply controlled by Tehran. So what is the strategy? What is the overarching theme for the world as Sistani gets lifted up, as the Shia community sees diversity? The Pope needs to speak to the way the Baha'is are treated in Iran. The Pope needs to speak to the way minorities are treated in Iran, if he's going to speak in Iraq that you can't look at the Shia crescent that now extends from Baghdad, from Tehran to Baghdad to Damascus to Beirut, that that, as that crescent extends, that somehow you forget about it simply because of a meeting in front of rubble. In Baghdad, yes, it's beautiful. Yes, the imagery is great. But don't take your eye off the ball. And the biggest threat right now in the Middle East that's exporting terror is Iran. And anyone who can look at the imagery of the Pope meeting with Sistani and forget that it's not ISIS is a symptom. Yes, it is fantastic that ISIS was destroyed, but ISIS was not destroyed thanks to the leadership of Baghdad or thanks to the leadership of Damascus or Tehran. If anything, they fuel that because it allowed them the wasteland and devastation that provided them to continue to control the population as sectarian division grew. It took America, with a president like Trump, to continue to give the Department of Defense and Secretary Mattis the green light to make sure that ISIS was decimated in Syria and elsewhere. So you can't take away the geopolitics. You can't take away the reality of who runs Iraq as the pontiff visited there. That's all. But it is an amazing meeting. It is amazing imagery. And hopefully it will move things continued in the right direction as Iran weakens, Tehran weakens, and secular democracy strengthens. We can only pray. Now, let's shift over back to Europe. As you know, we've been following that closely on this program especially what's happening inside France and Austria. And there are other scholars in the West starting to pay more attention also. The mainstream media, the legacy media will not. They're too busy still obsessing about Trump, even though he's not even in office anymore. They're too busy still fawning over President Biden's grotesque litany of executive orders. But... If you look at this week, there are some great pieces written by Cliff May in the Washington Times and Abigail Essman at the Investigative Project on Terrorism that talked about the fact that since the brutal murder of Samuel Paty, as Mr. Macron said, it was an expression of radical Islamism, which he defined as another way of organizing society, which is initially separatist, but whose ultimate goal is to take over completely. And this is gradually resulting in the rejection of freedom of expression, freedom of conscience, and the right to blaspheme, and in us becoming insidiously radicalized. Truly, truly appropriate words 
from President Macron that Cliff May brings out. May further points out that Macron has said there's a crisis ignited by radical impulses and the desire for a reinvented jihad, which means the destruction of the other. And as I've said many times in this program, the Islamists separate the society, the internal identity of individuals into us versus them, us versus them. They never bond to the country that is theirs, but they want to continue to feed the separatism, the lack of identification of their Muslim followers of their political Islamist movement with their global entities of Islamism. He acknowledged, Macron did, as May points out, that the response of the French government has been inadequate. We've crowded people together according to their origins, their social backgrounds, and he called that ghettoization. He said France, Macron said, is a country with a colonial past and traumas it still hasn't resolved. This has resulted in citizens of immigrant origin from Maghreb and South, I'm sorry, in Sub-Saharan Africa revisiting their identity through a post-colonial and anti-colonial discourse. And yet children in the Republic of France who've never experienced colonization have been led to see themselves as France's victims rather than France's citizens. So, so true. And he points out, Macron does, that we previously faced imported terrorism. We now know and we now have what's known as homegrown terrorism. French citizens linked to Al-Qaeda murdering more than a dozen people in the offices of Charlie Hebdo, a satirical journal that published Muhammad caricatures. And he announced new measures, and measures most of which I find fantastic and very supportable, if, if, if only we had done them here. He noted a bill reinforcing Republican principles. Passed one chamber of France's National Assembly last month and is a go to the upper house at the end of this month. Macron hopes to foster a Republican awakening, Republican patriotism, and the strengthening of laïcité, implying secularism as a policy and attribute the idea that the French state is neutral regarding religion and that French citizens refrain from promptly displaying their religious, ethnic, or subnational identities in public. It's the cement of a united France. So this is where I would veer a little from Macron, and this is why every country needs to have its own solutions. And the American solution, I believe, is one in our first liberty of religious freedom. So you can, as a Muslim, embrace religious freedom, but not do so on the back of the separatist, insidious, insurgent idea of political Islam but rather like our American founding fathers did. France's cement, according to Macron, is its laïcité, its hyper-secularism, its anti-religious sort of public expressions of religious, if you will, identity. In America, that wouldn't wash. And that's why I'm so thankful to God that my parents chose America. I love my faith. I love my relationship with God. But I do not love political Islam. I do not love the Islamic State or its flag or its Sharia. That's something I stand against and I want to defeat. I want my own personal choice to choose which aspects of Sharia I want to modernize, I want to believe in or practice or reject or dispense. That's American religious liberty. That's our first freedom. It stands against the establishment of religion and government 
not as significant as the laicite, which prevents Muslim women, for example, from working if they decide to wear the hijab, other things in, in, in state government. All of these personal expression of religious freedom should not be the domain of the government. But they're finally getting the diagnosis right and most of the treatment correct. He noted, Macron did, that their schools have prevented children from being educated about citizenship, from having access to culture, to our history, to our values, to the experience of diversity that lies at the heart of the Republican school system. He further said, and as Cliff May calls it audaciously, this Republican reawakening could build a form of Islam in our country that is compatible with Enlightenment values, an Islam that can peacefully coexist with the Republic he added that we must help this religion to structure itself in our country so that it is a partner of the republic on matters of shared concern. How hard was that to say? We've been trying to say that in the Muslim reform movement for a decade. We formed formally in 2015, but we've been trying to say it, many of us, for much longer. And yet, finally, the president of France begins the conversation. Oh, he's being vilified that he's an Islamophobe. He's being vilified that he's somehow a hater. He's stigmatizing Muslims. Yeah, as I said, let them have some fire under their feet. Let them feel some pressure. And as he said, he'd argue that when the mainstream politicians ignore voters' concerns, mouthing politically correct bromides, they only serve to empower extremists. And America's suffering from this too. We have the same battles. The battle for patriotism against insurgencies and against separatism. Macron urged that France reject certain social science theories imported from the United States, a reference to the woke ideologies that seek to splinter Americans into mutually antagonistic factions, as Cliff May said, with weak national identities and strong sub-identities based not just in religion, but also skin color, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, geography, and ideology. Such a powerful statement from President Macron. If only Biden had even come two steps close to that. But he's veering us apart. Significantly apart on that. As Abigail Esman points out at the, Islam, at the um, Investigative Project on Terrorism, writing for them, she said, as France began debating new laws to combat political Islam or Islamism, Allies started to pull away, fearful that Macron's measures were too harsh, that they promoted Islam hate in the name of enlightenment. He's promoting a battle against not only Islamism, but Islamo-leftism, which they warn is bringing a dangerous perspective in a form of cancel culture lifted in part from American university campuses to France. In February, the French Minister for Higher Education Frederica Vidal called for an investigation into the impact of what she called militant Islamo-leftist activism in French academic circles. God bless her. 
The backlash against the campaign has been fast and furious, fueling antagonistic responses, both at home and abroad, according to Esmond. Lamond called the term Islamo gauchisme, I'm probably slaughtered the French, or hazardous. France's Conference of University Presidents called the concept a pseudo notion, popularized by the far right. And it's not just the far right who thinks so. The Liberal Democrats, too, and countless others concerned about the confluence of the far-left victim culture and the victimhood tendencies of radical Islamists, many of whom weaponized the notion of Muslims as victims to radicalize and recruit Muslim youth. And Esmin quotes Nawaz, Majid Nawaz, one of our Muslim reform movement leaders, she states in the Daily Beast, he wrote, British Muslims are being spoon-fed regressive left sedatives, encouraging a perpetual state of victimhood in order to score their petty ideological points against the West. In the name of cultural diversity, aspiration is being stifled, expectations have been tempered, and because Muslims have their own culture, don't you know, self-segregation and ghettoization have thrived. So Macron is simply focusing on some of these aspects that he feels. And I, I see that as tough love, isn't it? It's not anti-Muslim to want them to become part of the culture, French culture, French society, and equality. It's so important. And Esmond ends saying there's some valid criticism of Macron's position that it may not be nuanced enough to show that Muslims can exist without political Islam and that separatism, but that's how you, they need to do that. They need to be motivated and activated to begin to define themselves outside of the Islamist establishment and its dogma. But they're not doing that. And they need to. Last the Christian Science Monitor this week had an editorial from its staff, from its editors, about what France can learn from the U.S. black, black churches, from the Monitor's editorial board. Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates Jr. offered a lively portrait of an institution that has done as much to shape the character of the United States that it has for black people themselves. The black church, he writes, is a story in three parts of a people defining themselves in the presence of a higher power, of their journey to freedom and equality in a land where power itself and even humanity for so long was and still is denied them, and of the secular contributions to American culture, justice, and knowledge that were forged in its pews. It is this place where we made a way out of no way, Dr. Gates writes in the Black Church. This is our story. This is our song. It holds lessons for the U.S. today, according to the Christian Science Modern. And there's no doubt that you look at how minorities are treated and the African-American struggle in America. Martin Luther King Jr. came out of the black churches. The power of his message resonated in the black churches. And then they took it to the streets from Alabama on. There's no doubt 
that that was effective and that that was a path towards peace, towards nonviolence, towards civil disobedience. But I have to tell you that the struggles against racism are very different from the struggles of a community of a faith of a quarter of the world's planet that includes a domination by a clerical establishment that is still stuck in the 13th century that includes the the statehood of islamist regimes and republics from pakistan to iran to saudi arabia to qatar to turkey and on that includes an enmeshment in the hundreds of millions of people with political parties that are a threat to western secular democracy and i'm not saying that the christian science monitor got it all wrong but the analogy is want the analogy falls apart and sometimes when the analogies don't line up it can actually create a lot more confusion because if muslims see ourselves simply as a minority in america that is the separatist identity of us versus them that will make it exacerbated and much worse when we don't deal with the identity of our treatments within our own mosques within our countries that are families escaped the motherlands of our families that now we embrace western freedom as american citizens as french citizens and sure enough the christian science monitor piece goes on to talk about islamophobia shaping debates and the populist political leaders that have come up in france and elsewhere and that somehow macron is feeding into le pen I don't even want to get into that politics. Now, it's interesting that they end on the fact that, and, but they're not giving Macron credit for it. They're giving Muslims credit for it, which, again, is cup half full or cup half empty. They say in the Christian Science Modern Editorial Board, Mr. Macron argues that the purpose of the bill is to reinforce his country's unique tradition of secularism. He appears to have an unlikely ally. In France, freedom of religion means freedom from another person's public practice of their faith. That ideal enjoys broad public support among Muslims in France. An Ipsos survey last year found that 81% of French Muslims had a positive view of secularism. 82% said they were proud to be French and 77% said they had no trouble practicing Islam. Um, wouldn't they do that because they're a minority? Would they feel that way if they were a majority? That's the question. The Islamists always have a duplicitous dissimulation where they have one feeling one way in one country when they live in the land of the contract or dotted Islam, dotted Harb, the land of Islam, land of war. And their moderation is when they call it, no, 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 no more land of war, but land of Aqad, the land of the contract. Christianized monarch goes on to say, modern Muslim leaders argue the bill's ban on foreign financing and influence will help French Muslims practice Islam in ways that are consistent with France's secular principles. The important part, they argue, is to support change from within the mosque. Ding, 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 ding. That is really important. So, so true. Foreign funding is horrifically pathological. Islam must be reformed, they said. No longer political. It has to assume that the laws of the 7th century Sharia are not valid in the 21st century, argues Razika Adnani, a member of the Foundation for Islam of France. The state cannot enter religious affairs, but it demands that Muslims reform their religion, unquote. This is why I told you 
that the Christian Science Monitor editorial ends on a good note. But they're connecting things that cannot be connected. The black church issue is, a, is, is, is one against fighting with civil disobedience against racism. The mosques, when it comes to political Islam, are the problem. And we must fight them within. The black church took the fight outside because the problem was the way, and still remains often, the way African-American communities are treated outside their churches. Islam's steady growth in Europe is forcing the continent, according to the Christian Science Monitor, to adjust to the changing positions of its societies. Economic discrimination and racism against Muslims, one of the drivers of radicalization. So, yep, leave it to the Christian Science Monitor to end as Muslims as the victims. Require urgent remedies. As refuges, as refu- as refuges for those who are marginalized, Europe's mosques, like America's black churches can be rich incubators for good partners in the pursuit of a mutual accommodation, recognition, and dignity for everyone. Again, the leadership currently of the mosque is not going to solve anything. They are the problem. They are the misogynists. They are the anti-feminists. They are the anti-Westerners. They are the anti-Semites. They are the bigots of our community running those most of the mosques. Absolutely. That's not a generalization. That's the truth. Find for me modern interpretations of Islam on the shelves of the mosques that reject the anti-Semitism and the anti-Zionism that exists pervasively among Muslim community leaders where they say that nobody should be killed for leaving Islam where they say that men and women get equal right to vote equal right to property equal right to physical and personal presence So this conversation, as you can see, is not being had on legacy media. The conversation is finally being had when political leaders accept the challenge of having it, and Macron's doing that. Austria is doing it too with Kurtz, what Sebastian Kurz, Chancellor Kurtz, is doing. Again, I disagreed with the way he's doing it and some of the laws he's pushing, but at least he's pushing the conversation. We'll talk about that on another program. Keep your eye out for these things because it is so relevant. And we'll continue to have that conversation here. Last, come on, folks. What's going on with DOJ? Why will they not enforce the fact that Al Jazeera is a foreign agent? And it ruled that it was. And it should, in effect, be kept to that standard. But it has not filed... A FARA filing, F-A-R-A, Foreign Agent Registration to Act. And they don't want to because then the amount of investments that come in, the amount of finances, they say that they are not. They are not a foreign agent. And as the Lawfare Project says, the launch of Al Jazeera's right-of-center U.S. media venture called Rightly, has refocused attention on the media company's alleged links to Doha, Qatar, and DOJ's efforts to crack down on media outlets viewed as foreign interest mouthpieces, as it did with RT, Russian television, files Farah. The Lawfare Project, a legal advocacy group that 
has brought this to our attention, thankfully to them. AJ Plus, as they noted, acts at the direction and control of the Qatari government and hence must register as a foreign agent according to the DOJ September determination. Rightly is bound by the same registration requirements the law for a project, Gerard Felitti argued. This new media platform is nothing more than the latest attempt by Qatar to subvert American law and orchestrate a non-transparent, pernicious influence operation to affect and influence American politics and society. The DOJ's Foreign Agent Determination Act required AJ Plus to register under the FARA within 30 days, and it has yet to do so months and months later. They say there's no such registration required and that it was politically motivated. They say Al Jazeera is a private foundation for public benefit under Qatari law. It is not owned by Qatar. What? They said what? It's not owned... And its content is not directed or controlled by the Qatari government, nor does it reflect any government viewpoint. A spokesperson told Axios Tuesday in an emailed statement. What? Talk to previous anchors when they started to get critical of slavery and other things that were happening in Qatar and their positions on policy, etc. When anyone went south of any of the Qatari government policies, they were removed especially when he took on the Muslim Brotherhood 90% penetration into Al Jazeera. They claim that they're targeted as all of the enemies of Qatar have been targeting Qatar. They also target Al Jazeera. Oh, okay, so they target Qatar and Al Jazeera, but that has, Al Jazeera has nothing to do with Qatar. Which is it? Unless the DOJ rescinds its registration demand, AJ Plus, Al Jazeera Plus, its internet, web, social media platforms, is still obligated to begin filing the necessary foreign agent disclosures. So important. And I can tell you, why is this important? The Islamists that escaped Egypt after El-Sisi took over and the Brotherhood was in power, most of them went to uh, Qatar. Al Jazeera is working closely with Iran. Rightly is trying to influence American culture and continuing to radicalize our Muslim communities. When you say, Dr. Jasser, where are the reformers? Why don't you have platforms in the Muslim reform movement that are getting the same type? Look at the type of videos produced by AJ Plus and the financing that goes into that. And then compare the financing that reformers get. That's all done by those, many of us working other jobs with other forms of income, let alone the campaigning and the public relations and the intelligence platforms of media campaigns, etc., that are necessary to compete against this. And yes, we're doing a great job anyway, but it's far limited. So yeah, DOJ, let's see where Biden's policies are. If they reverse that, you will know the influence of Biden's Muslim contacts at Engage, which I talked to you about a few episodes ago, or at the behest of Muslim leaders like Rima Doden and others. Where is their position on Al Jazeera's fair status? It'll say a lot. Please 
publicize this podcast, share it with your friends. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. Find us on Twitter at Reform This Radio. Share this podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and many other areas. Find us on Blaze TV. My podcast webpage is at blazetv.com and share it with all your friends, family, and colleagues. We'll see you next week. Hope you stay safe, healthy. Great to be with you again. God bless. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.